You're listening to the Anomalous Podcast Network. Multiple voices, one phenomenon. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome back to the channel. Um, I just want to give a good uh, a shout out to everybody for the love that you showed on my last interview with Exo Academian. Um, I got so many positive comments and DMs and everything about that. So guys, thank you so much. It, it was a really interesting conversation. Um, now today we had uh, some more information put out from the kind of government side of things and i try my best to keep up with it i usually rely on other folk um so uh yeah and i've got one of these fine people with me today um me and katie have spoken on book club and in the dms and, and privately before but this is the first time she's actually on this show uh, and i cannot wait to have this conversation because hopefully she'll be able to break things down not only for me but for you guys as well on the ins and outs of the, the language that we've been seeing recently with regards to the NDAA, the IAA, all the stuff and all these acronyms that, that you know, they're hard enough to learn on their own, let alone everything that comes with them. So let's not waste any more time. Let's bring in my guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Katie Howland. Katie, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I really, really do appreciate you joining me. Um, I love the background as well. By the way, I saw your tweet about the the vintage vibes. Oh yeah, I'm. That's what I do when I'm not, you know, talking about UAP. Is I'm like digging through thrift stores. So I love it. I, I do. I love it. Well, that let, you know, talking about you. Let before we get into this this jargon and and all this information, I want to know a bit more about you. So. Let's start with your your background, if you don't mind, if you could talk about your career background and, and some of your personal interests as well, and we can go from there. Absolutely. So I like to say that I have a very indecisive career. Uh, I have a lot of interests, and so I've kind of dipped my toes in a lot of ponds. Um, but I got my, my undergrad in international security, so that was kind of my focus. And at the time, I didn't know if I wanted to go like the intelligence route or more the um, like international development poverty alleviation route. Uh, so straight um, in well, in college, I interned um, both on Capitol Hill um, under then sec then Secretary of Defense, or was he CIA director then? Leon Panetta. He jumped around a lot, um, and then and then also uh, interned for then Vice President Joe Biden on his domestic policy team. Uh, primarily working on um, the mental health response to gun violence after Sandy Hook. So I had done a little bit of policy work, but, you know, very, very entry level. And so when I left um, college, I went and worked on a as a military uh, government contractor on a naval base here in San Diego on a nine nation uh, communications program uh, focused on 
radio waveforms and defense acquisition. And I lasted five months because I hated it. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, spent some time on base and got to understand a very small bit about, you know, how working within the DOD works and some of the challenges because I worked specifically on a joint Army Navy program. So I had a firsthand look into, you know, when you're working on these kind of cross agency, cross branch um, programs, how challenging it can be to get tiniest things done. Um, but eventually I, I switched to kind of international development work. So I did a lot of work with genocide survivors, with global health programs in Sub-Saharan Africa. And as a part of that work, I kind of went back and forth between implementing the programs. So physically, you know, running programs with these people in other countries to being a lobbyist. So uh, that's really where I got, I would say, most of my knowledge about the Hill and very, very limited compared to my peers. Uh, but I did spend a year basically working with Congress and the White House on trying to get more funding for infectious disease programs, um, specifically malaria. So I was really lucky in that I got to work a lot with, you know, Republicans and Democrats and the White House and kind of see their different perspectives and how they operate. And it's helped to really kind of color how I look at these issues. So when I... Um, volunteered on the Biden campaign based on my previous work with them um, and found out about the UAP issue, I was just hooked. And that's how I made it here. So I'm still in my day job doing kind of the humanitarian work. Um, but I definitely come to this work more with my limited defense and policy background in the back of my head. Awesome. That's amazing. So what about the UFO subject in, in, in like childhood and growing up science fiction and that? Was that a thing for you? Surprisingly, no. So okay. um, I was very, you know, mainstream science. Uh, I got my master's degree in the sciences. I'm technically an epidemiologist, you know, uh, very wow. cut and dry. And I, it's funny looking back on it because I do identify as an experiencer, uh, not necessarily with UAP related stuff, although potentially it's, it's a bit of a gray area for me. Um, but I kind of tried to push that stuff down. Um, I think I was so focused on being like this rational minded, you know, oriented person that it was just, it was like this box. I put it in and just set it aside. So it's been a very interesting time since I started getting into UAP, kind of unpacking that. Um, but no, I wasn't really into UFOs or anything. I remember when like ancient aliens first came out, like watching it and loving it because I love archaeology. Not that I think it's a valid, <laughs> valid show when it comes to science or history necessarily, but it was like a fun escape. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, this has all been kind of new for me, to be honest. But it seems like you've connected with it uh, really quickly. Uh, and I mean... Obviously, a part of that comes from your background within the government and you see it from the government perspective, but there does definitely seem to be something else as well. So, you know, and you mentioned there that you consider yourself as an experiencer or something. Do you want to expand on that at all? You don't have to. Sure. I mean, I'm not shy about really anything. So, um, cool. yeah, I since I was a kid, I've seen apparitions, like full bodied apparitions, uh, not like a ton of them, but, you know five or so. Um, I've had a few a few episodes of precognizance, some that were pretty remarkable in terms of like 
dreaming of a really strange place and ending up there like a week later. Um, other times where like I've known something really bad was going to happen and then there was like a shooting at a place I was supposed to be. Uh, so, you know, I've had like weird anomalous things. Um, recently I've had one or two OBEs while meditating. So like it kind of just like a mixed bag. Um, I think I'm just a little more sensitive to whatever is out there, frankly. Um, I've seen a number of orbs, but they were really, really small. Like, I don't know, this big. But like, I don't know, like when people talk about orbs in the UAP situation, I feel like they're typically talking about like basketballs or big craft or things like that. But these orbs, both me and my husband saw them on multiple occasions in our house. So like, it's just been honestly a smattering. Um, so I think like the biggest thing I've taken from all of that is to just never say never. You know, like I hadn't had an OBE until the last year. I hadn't seen an orb until the last year. I, you know, like I, I think until you experience these things, it's really easy to be like, oh no, that's bullshit. You know? Um, oh yeah. So I think what this field's really taught me is a lot of humility, frankly. That's amazing. You know? It's funny you mentioned about these small orbs. It was a question I raised with Luella Zondo in one of the interviews I did with him. Um, it was a listener question or a viewer question, and I'd not thought of it before. When I raised it to Lou, he was like, well, yeah, it's a possibility. And again, he I don't think he had ever been asked that question. And, and why not? You know, why do we have to assume that everything out there or or, with it, or within is on a scale that we have to kind of fit in with? Uh, I think that's right. fascinating. I mean, look at like bacteria versus dinosaurs, right? Like those came from the same planet. So... I have no idea what that was, if that was, you know, like UAP or if it was a spirit or if it was some weird atmospheric something. I don't know. All I can tell you is it was always in the exact same spot in my house. Both me and my husband saw it on three occasions separately, you know, I, and then I have never seen it since. Um, was it because I had a lot of antiques? I don't know, you know, um, <laughs> uh, but I think it's, you know, I've dived really deeply into it because I, like everyone else, I want to know, you know, I want, there's so much we don't know, so many questions we have. And uh, especially coming from a national security background, I got really annoyed that everyone else didn't want to know, you know, because like, let's say it's nothing weird, nothing anomalous. If the Chinese have this tech, if the Russians have this tech, we better, sorry, I almost cursed. I had to curse <laughs> like a sailor. Um, we better know about it. You know, and so like, I think yeah. that regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, everyone should be talking about this. I completely agree. Sean raises a good point here. What's up, Sean? Good to see you, brother. He thinks orbs could be earth lights. And, and I, I kind of agree to that to some extent. And, and the thing is with me is that if these orbs are earth lights, that's still a super exciting prospect because it's still well, something rare. What's an well, earth if light? it's something natural to this world that is just, you know, atmosphere rare and, uh, and and yeah like something that's not been cool. studied that much because it's so hard to come across i mm -hmm. think that's still a very exciting thing you know because oh, we just absolutely. don't know much about it so absolutely i'm certainly open to it being anything and i would be just as excited about that you know it's i think you just have to come at it with curiosity and be open to any of the possibilities absolutely absolutely now Let's move into the kind of government. And I keep saying government aspects of things because, you know, one thing that I see a lot of on social media and everything is that 
people seem to pigeonhole the government as this one thing, this one entity that anything relating to the government is the government, the evil government. <laughs> but like, let's go there. Let, let, let's talk about the fact that, in my opinion, I think in this day and age, we're seeing a, a shift within the government. You know, the government is it's got to be millions plus employees if you break it down to the the cleaners to the, the you know the joint chiefs of staff yeah. and everyone you know do you know what i mean it's yeah. so how would you tell some if somebody said to you well the government are keeping this a secret what would, <laughs> would you say, say to that you person you have a lot of faith in the ability of government to do anything well um <laughs> coming with someone who's kind of been around it uh, no, I mean, I think I saw, I saw a stat recently that I think something like 900,000 people have security clearances, yeah. um, both in the government and as contractors. Uh, obviously they're not all related to this topic, but if that just gives you an idea of the scope that you're talking about and trying to get any coherent agenda, um, within that group is going to be incredibly challenging. Um, and then you have, you know, different branches competing for different reasons and, are there maybe groups of people that may be trying to obfuscate? Absolutely. But I think anytime you get kind of a conspiratorial, like big government is doing X, Y, Z, honestly, like I'm telling you, cause I used to have brunch with these people. They're smart. They're not that smart. You know what I mean? They're, <laughs> yeah. they're humans like you and me. And um, yeah, I, I, I think we need to be very mindful of, recognizing the limits of government while not trying to assign it as like this behemoth monolith. Do you still think that secrets can be kept though within small groups within? Of course. I mean, that's, that's, you know, the sensitive compartmentalizing information, information SCI, which is like the highest level of security clearance. You, you can have different types of it, but um, is designed for that reason, right? Like the fewer people you have read into a program, the easier it is to keep these secrets which is why I think it's so remarkable the way the IAA is setting up the new EAP office, because the first thing I noticed when I read it was how broadly they're diffusing responsibility and information. It's almost like they're intentionally creating a system where there's going to be so many outlets that it can't be buried. And I think that's intentional. And I think that's by design. And where does oversight sit within that? And what does oversight bring because people hear that word a lot oversight as if it's someone's you know looking over the shoulder like ready to say you've you've not done this or you've slipped up here we're going to come down on you and make you bring this information out tell us about how oversight works well i think within i'm going to speak about the what i read in the senate iaa so the intelligence authorization act um because i have a feeling that's going to be broadly what the final legislation is covering um they focus on oversight in a lot of different ways. Um, first of all, they require that a new requirement in the IAA um, compared to the House and the NDAA, um, so the defense versus the intelligence side of things and the House versus Senate side, um, is that they explicitly say the deputy director has to be uh, appointed by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. So let me step back for a second because I just threw a lot of acronyms at you. So you have... <laughs> DOD, right? The military. Then you have the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Um, the ODNI is in charge of all 18 intelligence agencies. It gets a little convoluted because some of those intelligence agencies are like Air Force intelligence, Marine intelligence. So <laughs> it's a little tricky, but the fact that 
you know, the original Rubio, Gillibrand, Gallego legislation said the new UAP office can be in DOD, it can be in ODNI, or it can be in a joint component. Well, DOD kind of jumped the gun, right? And they built their AOI MSG, rest in peace. And <laughs> thank God. And they kind of jumped the gun. And I think that was intentional, right? I think they had saw the writing was on the wall and they didn't want to lose out to DNI. Um, so what this does is it kind of forces them of, hey, Secretary of Defense can appoint the head of this, you know, Kirkpatrick, but the deputy director is going to be reporting up to the ODNI. So I think that was put in there kind of as a, we got our eyes on you, you know, and that's one way to do oversight, which is to split it. Um, in terms of actual oversight in the way it's typically mentioned, though, it's more congressional oversight. And I was actually really pleased when I was reading the IAA because when I first read the defense side from the House, I was a little concerned because they set up this whole reporting mechanism. But then they said that um, SAPs, um, Sensitive Secure Access Special Programs. Access Programs. Special Access Programs. Too many acronyms. Um, <laughs> were exempt. And I, I kind of had this moment where I was like, okay, but any program that is dealing with this is going to be a step, right? And so I was concerned that this was just a little way that people could wiggle out. Whereas in the IAA, so tired of these acronyms, we need like better <laughs> ones to talk about this. They explicitly say that's only if those SAPs have already been accurately reported to Congress. And there's a whole legal code about how you report SAPs. So they're required to be reported to certain committees, but even if it's one of those rare, waived, unacknowledged SAPs, there's still technically a reporting mechanism where you have to report to the head of the defense committee, the chair and the ranking member, so the head Democrat, the head Republican, and the head of the appropriations committee, the money bags, Democrat and Republican. So I think what's really good about this is this basically says like, look, doesn't matter if it's one of those really, really deep programs that even the committees don't know about, there still needs to be this oversight from Congress. And so I think they're really set in the stage to more forcefully, you know, require the oversight that Congress is constitutionally given. That's amazing. Yeah. And these are the small points that I struggle struggle with and that's why I have to keep going to other people to explain and another point that that gets me every time is appropriation bills mixed with authorization yeah. are you able to break that down I'm sorry for anybody out there like if you read all these no, this language that comes out these are the things that, that, that ask where your questions will come from is what's the difference between this and that and this and that Katie can break it down. So yeah, appropriation. I'll do my best to break it down. Um, I, I like, <laughs> I'm like calling my best friend who works at the Pentagon. Like, hey, could you clarify this real quick for me? Uh, no, but it's a really good point because appropriations and authorizations are like the two keys, and they have to go together if you're going to have something work. Yeah. Right now, we're talking only about authorizations. Essentially. The government is allowed to create these offices and create these programs and run them and they're authorized to exist. But how in the world are you going to run an office if you don't have money for salaries or you don't have facilities or you don't have a research budget or you don't have any of that? So that's the appropriation. So you can think of just appropriations as someone's holding the purse, right? Um, <laughs> so what I'm going to be paying really close attention to, to be honest, 
I think authorizations have a lot less teeth because you could create the greatest office with all of the most interesting requirements ever, but I want to see how much money is going to be designated to it, you know? And so I think, you know, we're going to need to pay close attention to that um, after the authorization bills pass is how do those funds line up? Um, and a lot of times you'll see sometimes where they'll create something and then underfund it. And they are hoping people don't pay attention to that. But I'm confident that this group of fabulous people will hold their feet to the fire. So we might need to be making some calls to appropriators. And that's something that I think we'll probably be doing in the future. Yeah, and I think that's something that you've already shown that is something you can help with because you recently put out the call to action um, on Twitter with contacting representatives and stuff, which we've seen other efforts before. And kudos okay. to everybody that's been involved in that before. But so what, what, how did, how did that come about? What made you want to do that? Or, or, or it's, it's a difficult question. It's like, because you did it, literally it came out of nowhere. You just, one day this thing appeared and it was like, oh my goodness, like this is like, I was going to say, how can we, the people help? And, and, and so I guess you're that kind of middle person between, you know, well, we want to speak or, or show that our message to these higher ups and that. So yeah, what can we do and, and, and what will you be doing going forward between now and let's say the end of the year, maybe with the passing of the next NDAA? Yeah. I mean, I think it's something, you know, that was part of my old job. Um, when I was a lobbyist, it was, you know, part-time directly going to the Hill, sitting in members' offices, talking to their staff members, right? But the other part of it was grassroots advocacy. So equipping people with the tools and the resources they need to be confident. Because it's a little bit nerve-wracking if you've never done it before, calling your, your member of Congress and wondering, am I going to be talking to the member? Am I going to be talking to a staff member? Are they going to quiz me? How long will it take? And so my goal is just to make it easy, right? I heard from a number of people after calling in like, oh, wow, that was a lot less scary than I thought it would be. And that, that's just my goal, right? You know, um, I had also seen, you know, some scripts that have floated around before that based on my experience, were just a little too long, or, you know, had such disparate messages. And so, you know, I want people to call and talk about whatever their heart desires. But if I can just make it a little easier, then I'm happy to do that. Um, so yeah, I hope to do some more, you know, as we see the NDAA coming through, I don't know if it'll necessarily require any like direct advocacy because that's more conference committee, really just like coming together and hashing it out. Um, but I'm a firm believer that thank you calls are also very important, right? Like we need to make sure that we're not just contacting members when we want something, but that they see that we are paying attention you know, we don't just make one call and forget about it and move on with our lives. So that's something that around the passage of the NDAA, I'll probably be promoting. And I really encourage everyone to participate in that because these are members with feelings and they pay attention to how often issues are brought up. And um, I don't know. I also just like sending thank you cards. <laughs> so no, that's a good point, actually. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. It's like receiving a wedding gift and sending the thank you note afterwards it's just part of the engagement i think you have to look at this as not a one-off thing but as building a relationship with your member of congress you know and get get so they know you 
get so that you know they they see your phone number come up and they go okay i gotta pull up our uap file you know and that's good because then they know that it's real um a real issue they need to pay attention to and especially when they have intelligent people calling right who are not going off on some deep end discussion but are having an intelligent conversation it goes a long way absolutely yeah uh, Walter here makes a, a good point, keeping the bridges sturdy. There you absolutely, go. Absolutely, Walter, absolutely. So let me talk about, like, people are contacting their congressmen, their senators and, and representatives and stuff, but a lot of the time or half the time here and there, they're getting through to staffers. But I think, and, and from what I've heard of from people I've spoken to, that the staffers are just as important for getting the message through. Can you can you talk on that as well? Honestly, sometimes more important. Uh, it, so every office is different, right? Um, so I'll, I'll speak to the office I worked in back in the day when I my first my first internship on the Hill. Um, it was my job, for example, to answer the phones and tally every single phone call that came in, what the topic was, whether it was like pro or negative, right? And then at the end of the week, that would be combined with tallies from emails and letters and faxes, because some people still fax. I don't know. Apparently some people send smoke signals and beeps too. <laughs> I don't know. And you can ask Sean about pagers. And then you bring it to the member and you say, okay, so these were the top three issues this week. And that's when people start paying attention. So that's why it was really important to me to have our, our outreach all on the same day or the same week. Because if you're just kind of calling haphazard throughout the year, it doesn't have the same impact. Um, so the staffers, honestly, though, they're the ones writing the legislation. Like the member isn't sitting at their desk unless you have like an incredible member that is just super policy wonky. It's their it's their staffers that are writing the legislation. It's their staffers that are doing the research. It's their staffers that are briefing them every day or every week on these issues. So don't be discouraged if you're talking to a staffer. That's probably where you want to be. Um, and it's typically the DC staffers who work on legislation. So while every member of Congress will have like a local office, those people are typically more like social workers, right? So they're focusing on yeah. what they call case work. So helping people with their immigration, helping people with social security benefits, things like that. So if you wanna meet with those folks, that's fine. They might like pass your information to their DC office, but it's really about calling and meeting the DC people. Um, but yeah, so it's not a problem not meeting your member. Uh, very, very rarely does that happen. I used to lead uh, big events where, you know, hundreds of people would fly into DC and we'd range meetings all day long with different members. And very rarely was it with an actual representative. Um, and we still got huge impact out of it, you know, millions of dollars in funding. So wow. yeah, so there's something to be said about it. And do these staffers? <laughs> but these staffers have top secret SCI clearance. Um, depending on the issues they work on, a lot of them do have clearances. Probably not SCIs. Probably top secrets is my guess. Okay. Um, but you know, like if you're a person, so typically, like the various legislative aides will have portfolios. Like someone might work on housing and education. Someone might work on immigration. Um, but the people who work on defense and intel typically have at least some sort of clearance because they have to be able to go into like hearings and um, educate their members. So it could be that some of the staff is actually having some of the briefings before they're 
the people they work for but could they possibly Absolutely. be seeing some of the the videos and the stuff that we're not allowed to see yes and likely before the member at times mm -hmm. depending on the person right and depending on the office and how much that member gives uh you know delegates authority and responsibility to their staff yeah that's entirely possible and then on top of that you also have committee staff so like the senate intelligence committee for example will have its own staff that lives at the committee it isn't necessarily tied to any particular member and so those members might also get um access depending on and isn't that where we've seen this latest report today come out of the senate select committee and and exactly. so let's let's jump into everything you know what one thing i want to do is bring up a, an article written recently by by d dean johnson um mm -hmm. let me bring that up and we'll go through great, a couple of the key point. points he's a rock Bear with star. me he is he's incredible so let me bring this up and i want to bring up a couple of points and hope that you can expand on them to break break them down into a more uh, layman's terms let's say um Beth. Actually, before we do that, one thing I want to, if you could just tell us the difference. I mean, I guess you already have, but that, for the next few months, we're going to see this NDAA and IAA language and like these two separate things. What happens towards the end of the year? Do they merge? When do they merge? Yeah. Like, Can you break that down for us? Yeah. So every year, the U.S. government is required to pass 12 authorization bills, funding basically like each topic area, each department of the government. Um, when they don't pass those, that's when you see like government shutdowns, right? Uh, because they have to be able to reauthorize every year that this is allowed to exist within the government and you're allowed to spend money on it. Uh, so what happens sometimes is the different components might be merged or sometimes like, like defense and intelligence, right? Will probably be merged. Um, that's why you see the first part of the Senate Intelligence IAA is actually just editing last year's defense NDAA. Uh, so it, it gets a little like convoluted. Um, sometimes they'll even do like roll everything together into one that's called an omnibus. Um, so it, it's different each year, which is why you can never know exactly how it's going to work. But I would fully expect that the uh, intelligence and defense, you know, will be conferenced and essentially the committees will come together and they'll look at the intel and the defense on House and Senate and basically find the middle ground, find where their agreements work out little differences here and there. Um, and then that's not voted on like in the committee. It's just kind of um, conferenced at that stage, I believe. Could be that wrong. Makes sense. No, it I haven't makes sense. worked on conference committees before, so but that's my general understanding of it. Um, yeah, so that should be what's happening this fall. Uh, and I would expect that, you know, hopefully, I mean, ideally you would have this in place before the beginning of the fiscal year, which is October 1st. Um, but that doesn't look likely. So they'll probably, um, do it maybe October, November is my guess. I think personally, comparing it to last year when we started seeing this language with Senator Gillibrand and, and everyone bringing in this new new language and everything, I think this is moving quicker this year, personally. It, it is early days. It is early days. But we have, this is how Dan, shout, Dan the Signal puts it, is we have trains moving on the track side by side and they're moving yeah. at a pace. We're seeing things change, you know, on a fairly uh, progressive way at the right. moment so the only crossed, thing it, i would it, caution there though is that it is an election year 
So you're going to have a lot of folks going home and campaigning. So it might get, might slow down a little bit towards the end of October. The thing is, what I will say to that is we saw that with the January 6th hearings, though. Everything went dead. Then that that was obviously for, for, uh, front and foremost for everything. But since that, in the last week or so, we've we've seen things yeah. go through it's, on the 20th, you know, uh, without any debates or anything happening. And, and forgive me if I'm not saying it right, because, you know, I don't know the ins and outs. But didn't things get passed on the 20th that didn't really get questioned it just went through yeah, and just went straight through and i want to also clarify that you know more about the u.s government than most u.s citizens do so <laughs> I, I think you don't need to have any qualifications there uh, but yeah it's happening and a lot of it's happening behind the scenes i mean if i remember correctly we didn't see that the iaa had passed for a little few days at least after it had happened so uh you know gears are working behind the scenes uh you know because you have people like an intelligence staff member, right? Who isn't as clocked into Jan 6, maybe, right? Like they're still having to do their work. Um, so there's still people having to make their make their paychecks, luckily for us. Yeah, absolutely. Just for you guys in the uh, the chat there, it's good to see you guys coming through with some questions. I have highlighted a few that I will ask later on in the interview. Um, awesome. I'm going to throw a question your way now and I'm going to give you two minutes to answer it because I've literally just had a text saying my daughter's screaming for me. So I want you to just give everybody in the chat two minutes of why it's important or, or it's it's good that we're seeing bipartisan effort. Oh, absolutely. So I've had the pleasure to work on two issues um, that have bipartisan support, both before when I talked about infectious disease funding um, and this, and it's incredibly rare, as I'm sure everyone can see. Um, but I think what it really speaks to, honestly, is the fact that if there's one thing Congress can get behind um, and rally around with each other, it's when they feel like their oversight authority or their authority that is given from the Constitution is sidestepped. And I think that what we've seen recently um, there's a lot of anger, and I think righteous anger on the on the side of members of Congress that they have been sidestepped and they don't have all the information because, you know, these are folks who are making decisions about, you know, the size of our military and how much funding is going to go to countering China versus something else. And if you don't have all the information, how can you make intelligent uh, decisions about those things, you know? And so I think anytime you have a branch of government that feels slighted everyone's going to rally around themselves. And it's also just, you know, a fact of our political system that defense is a pretty bipartisan thing in general. Um, so despite this being kind of a scary topic for some, you know, the last thing you want to do is be seen as someone who is putting service members at risk. And I think that's honestly a big benefit of us. Even if you are the biggest peacenik in the world and you don't like how much money we spend on our military or what we've done in the Middle East or whatever, um, I encourage you to use language that appeals to your member. So if your member is a right-wing um, military hawk, talk about the need to protect national security and protect our service members. If your member is um, you know, a left-wing progressive, talk about the need to protect whistleblowers and make sure that go congressional authority is being respected, you know? So it's about 
figuring out why your members are supporting the issue and tailoring your messaging. Um, because I think most of us can agree at the end of the day, I don't care why we get more information. I just want more information. Absolutely. There's a great comment here from Jay. That was great. Katie kept up the riff and he's back before she stuck the landing. <laughs> I will highlight, I will highlight everyone saying he's just refilling his wine glass. I wasn't. I generally went to the bathroom <laughs> and checked on my daughter. And uh when I saw that comment, I did refill my wine glass. So I did all that pretty quick as well. So thank Man, you guys. Good to see you're paying attention. If I had a wine glass, it would be a problem. So. Well, you know, I get these things it's 10 p.m just gone here in the uk that's you know fair. That's fair. <laughs> but then surely like you know working in the in the higher pressure world that you do i wouldn't be surprised if you have the odd glass mid-afternoon you know I, I I'm, I'm a weirdo i'm a weirdo i have like three <laughs> drinks a year i don't okay I, I think having to work in genocide and all this stuff if i drink every time i was stressed i would have a really big problem that makes sense that makes yeah. sense i'm a real um, fun person at parties let me tell you well, that's cool. Hey, you can bring the fun however you want. It doesn't have to be alcohol related. So it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Um, there's a great question here, actually. Uh, Wilfred, thank you so much. Uh, any whispers about a new UAP hearing in the next weeks or months? Not that I've heard. Um, but I I mean, guys, I'm, I'm not relying on some super secret sources. I have friends in D.C., so I could be absolutely wrong. Um, I would expect a Senate hearing, though. I mean, I don't think the Senate's going to be happy with just letting the House like get their their side of things. <laughs> and, okay, sounds good. No, that's not going to happen. Um, I would expect it. You know, as Jan Six stuff has been wrapping down, I think we'll either see it in September, is my guess, before they recess in September, or maybe in the lame duck November December. Um, but yeah, nothing nothing that I know about on my end. I absolutely will share if I hear anything. I um, appreciate that. Well, yeah. One thing I've heard as well is that the Senate, you know, if the Senate talk, that's more important to some degree. Can you tell us why that might be? Why the Senate, you know, we want to hear the Senate side of things and, and why, why that adds so much more value to, to what we're talking about? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, the Senate, just by its design, is a much more... Um, the word I'm looking for, like reserved institution, right? Okay. So even just by design in our constitution, senators are elected for six years instead of having to go up for election every two years. So you're going to see more steadiness in the approach, right? One of my worries with House um, advocates, right, who are pushing this issue forward is they could be out of a job in a year and you might lose that voice. So I think you get a little more um, stability on the Senate side. Um the Senate's also typically more, you know, they're they're in charge of, for example, like approving foreign treaties. So they're typically just a little more in tune to like foreign policy and defense in general. So I think it's just kind of a, a artifact of how they were set up that it's going to be big. And not to mention the fact that like, I, I think we've had fantastic Hill um, supporters on this legislation. Uh, but I, I mean, I think everyone can recognize that this is really being driven at this point by, you know, Rubio and Gillibrand. And so I, I think and maybe that is even just an artifact of the fact um, that, you know, Chris Mellon comes from the Senate. Right. Like there is and maybe he has closer relationships there. Uh, so, you know, it's it's personal. It's 
by design. Um, and I, I think, I think it'll be really interesting. I also think that everything is being designed on a much grander scale than we can see at this point, you know, um, having talked to Chris a few times, he's not one to uh, plant one tiny seed and walk away, right? Like it's a very, we do A, then we do B, then we do C, then we do D, then we do E. And so I think like looking at all of this, looking at who slipped uh, uh, Gallagher, the Wilson Davis stuff and why, and the timing. And then we got the immunity language, you know, and then maybe we'll get a Senate hearing and then maybe we'll get, you know, like it, it's just, what's the end goal? Right. And I think that right now the end goal in the next five, 10 years eventually is some uh, compulsion language, right? Like you have to start with voluntary information and figuring out where the um, legacy programs may exist and whatnot. But eventually <laughs> I think we're going to go down that path and it, it's, you know, come back in five years and tell me I'm wrong. But uh, that's where I think we're headed with things. I, we've heard that before. Lou himself has said, come back in five years. I think that's where we kind of headed towards. We're arrowing down towards the legacy oh. programs. But in the meantime, we're still up here kind of thing. Um, ah, damn, I had a question then. I'm going to I'm gonna segue into something else. You're speaking about Chris Mellon, that obviously Lou, Lou has done a lot with Chris for, yeah. for helping some of this language come forward and that. Now, I actually spoke to Lou today. I reached out to him. I said, Lou, can you can you give me a statement on everything that's going going on? And I, I didn't hear anything. And then I saw him tweet. I thought, okay, I'll use your tweet. But then he actually messaged me back. So I, I got a little statement that I'm going to read out from Lou that, that is just for for, for this. So I'd like Breaking your thoughts. Breaking news from Vinny. Love it. Well, you know, it's like because I don't understand a lot of this, it's like – I, I normally go to either Dan or like we're, we've got a couple of groups going on on Twitter. And so I thought today is like, uh, you know, I've not spoken to Lou in a while or in, in a few days. So uh, I'll reach out to Lou. I love how you say uh, a few uh, days, a while. People are like, I want to talk to you. <laughs> a few days. Yeah. But this, the, the, it's funny because the message says, Vinny, I'm on the road. Here's my statement. <laughs> well, you know, that's all good. Uh, so Lou says, today is yet another indicator to the degree in which Congress remains fully engaged on this topic. The language is not only insightful, but also directive in nature. The days of stonewalling by a select few are nearing an end. I only hope when the truth comes to light that we remain focused on the issues and avoid an unnecessary witch hunt. Truthfulness and reconciliation is more important than reprisal and retribution. Believe me, I am the first one who understands personally and professionally how it feels to be unfairly targeted for speaking the truth. But we must always try to take the high road wherever possible and forgive any transgressions in favor of transparency. So, I mean, he always, he always comes with them bold statements, which I'm, I'm, you know, thank I, you know, thank you, Lou. I appreciate that. You know, it's so funny because when I hear that, it's very, it very much reminds me of like the truth and reconciliation commissions and like post-apartheid South Africa and Rwanda and whatnot. And as someone who works in genocide response, I can tell you it's typically much more effective when you focus on truth and reconciliation over punitive justice. Not to say that everything should be forgiven, right? If people oh, were sure. harmed and whatnot, absolutely. But at some point you have to, if you, if you really want truth, you have to decide what's more important. So I agree. It's yeah, look at the bigger picture. 
Mm-hmm. sometimes that's more important as well as taking it away from the person take it away don't take it personally sometimes and look at the look at the group it might affect mm-hmm. or, or or something like that i completely yeah i mean it's easy for me to say but i know there are people like who have been more involved in this who who, who are involved in this so you know I, I have to try and look at it from every aspect and i think you know it's good and and I, I smile because you know I always ask Lou for a statement, and he always gives me these big, bold statements. But it's it speaks very truth. Lou. He just he's very eloquent and he's very Lou, absolutely. It's almost it's almost like a politician speak. <laughs> yeah, we've heard Lou Lou hint on that for for Congress. And yeah, let, let's oh, take yeah. it step by step. Um, now we were going through, and I'm going to bring this back up. Bear with me. Is yeah. Uh, Dean Johnson's article. Now I'm going to skip through a lot of it because I think we've covered some of it. I think well, when I, I read to... it, it said it'll take 30 minutes to read. It's like, oh my gosh, what a piece of scholarship! 30 minutes to read, and then how many minutes to go back and read through all of it again to just to understand you know... it? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, here's a question. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna take it off screen. Is that we've obviously heard recently about the AARO or RO or ARO, so many different pronunciations. Now, to me, it looks the same as last year. We saw the Gillibrand Amendment and all this new language come up. Uh, and then we saw the DOD throw in AOIMSG, like, it's okay, we're on top of this. And then this year, we're seeing new language. And then we're seeing ARO come up. Like, is this just not a repeat of last year? Because surely, if we wait until the end of the year, get the NDAA passed, fingers crossed, everything runs smoothly, we'll get a better office beginning 2023 theoretically yeah we'd have the uap jpo right the joint program or whatever like it says in there honestly i read that and i was just like really like do we have to keep changing the name Uh, (laughs) i think this is a perfect example of what we talked about right um i would like to say that it's some big conspiracy to hide the truth i think it's just dumb like like truly like i think they just didn't realize or didn't care that they were going to suggest a UAP name in this legislation and they wanted to create one because they did. They had to they had to make sure that it was cooperative with the Gillibrand requirements, right? So they had to make some edits. So I think as a part of that, they did the name change. Um, but I think it's hilarious, frankly, because there's no way Gillibrand didn't know during that meeting that they were just text, they were just tweeting about that this language is in the IAA. <laughs> so honestly, I have no idea. I, I think that there may have been um, a desire to not have UAP in the office name um, because it's a little less sexy and the media may not pick up on things as easily sure. if they're not paying attention to it. Um, so I think it was important that they did that and also important that um, you know it's UAP, but they're still saying the name of the office is Unidentified Aerospace C. I don't know what's no. keeps changing <laughs> and underwater phenomena. I don't know whatever it was, and I think it's important though that they want that in the name. And I think that's really, um, I mean, it's not surprising, right? Like we know this is a transmedium situation. We know that there's a lot going on underneath the water, and that they deferred that discussion to the classified hearing. Um, but I think the fact that they really want underwater, undersea, whatever the word was, in the name. Um, should give us all like a big clue as to where these members heads are at and what they're most interested in. So do you think that 
the staffers, the congressmen, everybody that are having these classified briefings, would they go to these levels if it was something just drones from China and Russia? Absolutely not. I, I mean, look, are there some that are probably drones from Russia and China? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. There are, I mean, we're running the BA-52 while, you know, some of our, like, old-style cars were on the road. Uh, you know, like, there's there's some next-gen aircraft and drones that we can't even imagine that are being tested right now by us and by other countries. Um, but no, I, I think that's the biggest argument about there being fire where there's smoke here. You have so many people with vastly different outviews on life and the role of the government who not only are interested in this issue, are more interested in this issue and become bigger advocates after they're briefed. And I think that says everything you need to know, you know, because if we knew it was Chinese, for example, it would be going to another office. Um, so, and, and honestly, they should be just as worried if it is. We find out every single UAP ever seen is Chinese. Okay, we need to address that. Um, you know, they're committing genocide right now. Do we really want them to have this tech? Uh, so I, I think that it's silly when, um, you know, career debunkers, I don't mean people that look at these things in good faith, but people who jump to conclusions always um, think there's nothing to this because these are people who are receiving briefings from people who do know, you know, they don't just let anyone walk on, walk in from the street and brief the Senate Intelligence Committee, you know, um, even smart people. So I, you know, I, I tend to believe in Occam's razor. Uh, you know, the simplest yeah. solution is the right solution. And I think that's kind of where I fall in these things. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. So yeah. going forward, we've talked about what's happening now, the language. Do you expect much movement between now and let's say, you know, last year we, we know the NDAA got passed you know, what was it, December 27th, almost the yeah. edge of the new year. Uh, do we just sit tight now and wait? Is there anything we can do? What what should we what should we focus on between now and, and, and December this year? I think we need to pace ourselves, you know? Like Lou, Lou said a long time, for a long time, come back in five years, right? Like I, I know it can feel like we want a new hearing and a new bill every month, um, but a lot has happened this year. And so I think, you know, Take a step back, take a breath, be grateful what we've gotten this year um, and know that we're setting the stage, right? We're still building and you don't have something that happens for 70 years in terms of the U.S. government response. Obviously, this phenomenon has existed much longer than that. You don't unravel that overnight, right? It takes time. And so much of the work has been developing relationships within yeah. Congress and within the executive branch. And so, you know, I encourage you to work on that. Even if it's not UAP related, get comfortable calling your member, go have a meeting in person, um, read up about some of these topics. If you don't get authorizations versus appropriations, look up the 101. Um, and again, send thank yous, you know? God, bake some muffins, show up at their office. <laughs> Probably can't eat those, might have anthrax, but you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's a long game. And I think we need to make sure that we don't lose sight of the end goal. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm partial given my political background, but one of the things that, um, 
when I was interning for Joe, one of the things he said, uh, whether you agree with him or not, it's totally fine if you don't, is never throw out something good because it doesn't go far enough. Take a tiny bit of progress and move the ball forward and then build from there. And I think that's what we're doing. I think yeah. we're slowly but surely moving the ball forward and it might not be everything we want. Um, but you can look at the IAA as a good example. The IAA had a lot of really interesting steps forward from the NDAA. And that's only a few months or yeah. maybe a month, weeks. I don't know. It, it was short after it. Um, you know, it, advise, advise creating that core group, whatever that is. I'm really interested in that core group. Um you know, it talked about um, like Corso-esque um, technology transfers to industry and national labs. You know, there's there's steps being made. Um, and sometimes it's literally just a phrase. Yeah, absolutely. Walter again, baby steps. Absolutely, brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to give a shout out. I, I know. My, <laughs> hey, it doesn't mean it's, you know, popularity isn't always the, the be all and end all. Um, I was just going to give a shout out to my brother, Jason Turner. I saw him in the chat. Shout out, Jason. Not spoken in a while. You know, he's part and parcel of everything that's been going on for the past five to six years, being part of the the Nimitz encounter and everything. Jason, it's always good to see you, brother. I love you, man. Um, I just remembered what I wanted to speak to earlier about that I forgot about was this talk about amnesty and immunity. Now, everyone got really excited, like suddenly we're going to get swathes of people coming in front of public hearings talking about secrets. Now, what it was really from what I garnered was people are going to be able to go through a secure channel to talk classified about this thing. Can you can you break that down for us a bit? better? Yeah, yeah, it's it's not as fun as it sounds. Um. Well, two important things. First of all, it is for that secure channel, right? So just because someone can report something doesn't mean we'll hear about it. We could. Congress could decide that they want to push the executive branch to declassify it and share it. Um, But I wouldn't hold your breath on that. Um, I really viewed it as honestly in service to this information gathering exercise. I really look at this whole thing that's going on right now, the GAO report, Um, The reporting avenue is they're trying to get all the information they can on any existing incidents, uh, programs, uh, you know, technology transfers, you name it. Um, But I think it's also important to recognize what it doesn't do. In addition to not just giving blanket ability to like go on CNN and talk about all this is it doesn't give immunity from crimes. And And I think people are conflating the two. It gives immunity yeah. from prosecution for breaking your NDA or some other non-disclosure agreement, security clearance, something. So if you go to the UAP JPO, is that what we're calling it now? Gosh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the UAP office. I'm just going to call it that. Um, yeah. And report that you are involved in blackmail and intimidation and, you know, something like that in connection with one of these programs, that doesn't mean that you get immunity from being prosecuted for that. So, you know, that might be good in terms of justice. That might be harmful in terms of the truth, depending on what was involved. Um, But yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I wish I was someone in that office, but they're going to have a lot to weave through, I'm sure. 
The thing is, it's funny because people hear the words immunity and amnesty and my DMs suddenly fill up with, is Lou's going to testify finally? And I'm like, no, it's so much more complicated than that. And, and I'm please sure he don't. would. If he was I'm sure he would, but I think the focus needs mic, to... But... Yeah, I, I mean, if he's subpoenaed to talk, I'm sure he would, but I think the right. focus needs to... Sh- the, the focus now needs to shift away from Lou. And, and also we talk... There are things in there about going back to 1947 and things going to the National Archives and, and all these kind of things. There is yeah. so much in there. If yeah. you could talk well, about that. Well, the one thing that I first noticed, too, when I saw in 47, I was like, dang it. They left out the Trinity case, which was in 45. So we could go I was back, like, though. <laughs> we, yeah, maybe, maybe that needs to be the next baby step, too. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. They're in, empowering this, the GAO, which is essentially like a, you can think of it as like a nonpartisan, I'm pronouncing it arrow in my office. I like that. I like that. Let's call it Arrow. Um, basically empowering them to go um, to the archives of the United States and with get access to anything, anything written. Now, the obvious problem comes and something that Lou often talks about when you're talking about FOIA is not everything's written down. I, you know, and I just look at it as, and people get to, well, why not? Is that conspiracy? Not necessarily. I mean, <laughs> In my old job, right, when I was a lobbyist, I was elected the chair of the Malaria Advocacy Roundtable. I coordinated with a bunch of different groups. You think that was in writing anywhere? No. You know, <laughs> and, and you can think of similar things where, you know, there are conversations that were had or this or that. Or if you're doing something highly secret, are you going to write a memo about it? So I'm glad they're going to have access. Um, but again, we have to recognize the limits of these things. And that's where I think having these secure reporting channels, which will circumvent the need to only look at written documents, um, will be really helpful. Amazing. Amazing. Well, listen, Katie, we're, we're, we're pretty much coming to the woods, the end of, but I, I wanted to like, end it on a, on a slightly more mellow note because, you know, it's been intense. I, I've got so much to take in. I'll, I'll do a rewatch of this. I hate watching myself speak, but, you know, I need to understand the ins and outs of what, what, what we're seeing right now within the government. Now, we've been doing book club over the past few months. You've joined in on that. So a lot of people always ask me, what books do you recommend on the UFO subject? And I know you've jumped in and, and read some things. So is there anything that you'd recommend Too to people to, to read? Too many. I'm... It depends where you are in your journey. If you're just popping in, I really think you can't beat Leslie Kane's UFOs book. It's like a very good entry level if you're a little skeptical getting people into it to realize it's a legitimate issue. Um, I'm now more on the consciousness aspect of things. So woo, if you will. I really think you can't disconnect the two to a certain extent. I agree. Um, I agree. I mean, OSAP agreed too. That's why it was created the way it was. Um, but so I'm looking a lot at, um, like anthropology of the supernatural was something that Jay recommended to me recently, which was really good. Look at this comment. Published a photo of us recreating Baywatch. You know, she texted me the photo today and I might just post it myself. So that's what she needs to happen. It needs to happen. Well, if anyone's mad at me, I'm going to blame you guys. Okay. You've got, I'll say this live on air. You've got my backing right now. Okay, I'll post it after this. It is a Baywatch yes. photo with all of us photoshopped Look, into book it. Book Club Baywatch is how we live. That's I've got to say, Olaf looks 
like how Olaf really is. <laughs> or should be. Like, he may not have that hair, but it looks like he should be that way. Anyways, you guys will see it. So um, for everybody, listen, I'm not going to finish now, but Katie's, you can follow Katie on Twitter in the in the description below. After this finishes, go there because you're going to see the Book Club yeah. Baywatch. If you want to see Jay time. in a bathing suit, you have to come to my Twitter. Like, forget seeing high-definition UFO UAP photos. You get the Book Club Baywatch photo, the elusive. Why didn't we <laughs> add a UFO into the sky in the photo? God, missed opportunity. Someone else might do it for us. Shout out to, uh, oh, look, Walter's saying book club, hashtag, uh, uh, question mark. Walter, I'll fill you in. I'll send you the links, brother. It, it, it's it's all about UAP book club. It's a monthly thing we've done in the past. We're having a summer break, but we get together on Priscilla's channel. Every month we read a book and then we get together and we have a panel discussion about the book. And sometimes we even have the author on with us. Um, we're going to get back to it in a month or so. So, Walter, I'll send you the details, brother. So, Katie, listen, we could go on and on. Um, we really could. But do you know what? We're going to stop here because I reckon we're going to need you back on uh, multiple times in the next few months. <laughs> Any time. Are you kidding me? It's a nice break from work. So happy to be here. I really, really, truly appreciate it. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you've done. And, yeah, I, I, I can't sing your praises enough. And anybody that isn't familiar with Katie after this, go into the description Check out her socials. Go and follow. You can all get involved. And this is the thing, like, we we can all play our part. So, um, yeah, Kate, if you can hang around, uh, I'll say goodbye to everybody in the live chat. Thank you so much for being cordial and asking great questions. I will give a quick shout out to uh, Sean. Thank you so much for the super sticker donation, brother. I really do appreciate that. It all goes to back into the show and, and everything. Um, good to see all my friends and uh, newcomers, and all of you guys are always welcome. I'm going to be back on Saturday with James Ian Dolly, Danny Silver, and Ryan Robbins, UFO Jesus himself. We're all coming together. Quick shout out, Guy Springthorpe. Thank you so much for becoming a member, man. Really appreciate it. Guy has been a long, long, long time supporter of me over on Instagram and everything. So, Guy, thank you so much, brother. Good to see you, man. Guys, for now, we're going to call it. Um, do you know what? I'm going to announce. I'm going to go over and do an impromptu Instagram live. So if anybody wants to jump on, I'm going to be live on Instagram in about five to ten minutes. But for now, Katie, thank you so much. I really appreciate everything you do. I appreciate you as a person. So, yeah, thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks for having me. You've made it such a welcoming place to be here. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. Take care. And everybody else, if you want to see me on Instagram, come and jump on. If not, I'll see you on the next show. For now, guys, take care. Peace.